I would have like teachers being like, a black female doctor, can you come talk to my my kids? Like they've never seen this. And I was like, this is a problem. <laughs> like I can't, it cannot be 2020 where we have all of these mediums, like all the social media and all of these mediums and like kids are still struggling med students are still struggling to find representation of yeah. people in STEM. And so it just like made me very sad. Um, but then also on the op opposite end is like, I'm an action person, like, and I'm also someone that just likes to get something done. And I was like, you know what, why, if I'm not seeing it, why can't I be the one to do it? Like, why can't, why can't I? And so I was like, I'll start a podcast. That's Dr. Maria Uloco today on Behind the Microscope. Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Bijan Sadie and this is Behind the Microscope, a podcast about the people and process behind the scenes of science and medicine. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Dr. Maria Uloco, a fellow in sexual health, transgender health, prostheses and reconstruction at San Diego Sexual Medicine. She is also the creator and host of the Battle Cry podcast, in which she interviews leaders of color in science, technology, engineering, and medicine. We here at Behind the Microscope are big fans of her show and are excited to have had the opportunity to talk with her about her life, her path to medicine and urology, and her incredible podcast and its efforts to amplify the voices of leaders of color and promote diversity in STEM. Dr. Uloco received her MD from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, her residency training at the University of Minnesota, and is currently doing her fellowship at San Diego Sexual Medicine. Without further ado, it is our pleasure to introduce Dr. Maria Uloco. I wanna hear about your all of your training until now. Yeah. Um, but, but I imagine it affected the end of residency for you too. Yeah, it really did. It like, it, so I guess like for five years, I was like, oh, just put your head down, do the work. Um, and I knew exactly, I kind of planned out exactly how each rotation would go. And especially in my chief year, I was like, okay, I'm going to start at the university, which is the hardest rotation. Um, you're operating every day, uh, oftentimes till 10, 11 at night and like, get that out of the way, go to the VA, get that out of the way. And then I was going to end on this private practice rotation, which is so much more cush. Like you get mm -hmm. to pick and choose what cases you want to go to. Um, you see a couple consults, they're super appreciative. It's, it's not a stressful rotation. Um, and then then coronavirus happened and we had to go on a Corona schedule. And so then I had to get back on my university rotation. I became oh. the second chief at the university. I was like, I've already done this. Right. Exactly. And, I thought I was getting yeah. this out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so then I had to take more university call versus the private practice call, which was like once a week. And I was back to Q3 call, um, and call every other weekend, which at the, it was just a, like, it was, I had planned out, like I had just planned to fade into the sunset in my chief year and I, that just didn't happen. And like a lot of other like personal things were going on. It was just like, it was this whole mess, but 
the whole, the beauty of it was that I had a lot more time because we did the one week on one week off. Okay. Um, or thing. Um, and so with that, I had like, I had to, I had to re, re, reassess what my goals were. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're so one single minded and focused about, you know, just graduating and all of a sudden that kind of just is like swept out from a, the rug is like swept out from right. me. You you have to you have to then readjust. Um so that and then then on top of that, living in Minneapolis during the George Floyd murder mm-hmm. and then the subsequent, you know revolution that came out of that mm-hmm. in your city well something that made you have to pivot and readjust as well and so mm-hmm. it made me it gave me enough free time to start the podcast which is something mm-hmm. I've wanted to do for a while um and then it gave me enough time to like reassess what my goals were further um mm-hmm. outside of medicine and then you know what my career path was going to be so mm-hmm. yeah it was tough but that's just what life is and you get over it and right get moving right but that i mean it it's really kind of it's a it's a very bizarre time to be at the end of some kind of training or at the yeah. beginning i think because yeah. because you just are you you thought you were wrapping like you dream about wrapping things up right like i dreamt yeah. about my defense for a long time and then it yes. was like yes but, yeah yeah but, i dreamt yeah, I dreamt about graduation and mm-hmm. I like I every single graduation I was like in four years it's gonna be me. In three years it's gonna be right. me. And then my graduation was I mean, granted it ended up being good and that shout out to our coordinators that worked super hard to to make sure that it was great, but it was via Zoom and Right. It's not the you know, same. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Well, so what I wanted to do was to to just to do a little interview with you to hear your story and introduce you to the audience that we have, which is more, um, we like have more like basic science researchers, although we, it's getting to be more physician scientists. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to talk kind of about how did you decide you wanted to do medicine? What did that look like? Like, where did you train? What did your training look like? And then, and then I want to talk about the, um, uh, your inspiration for starting the podcast and and where the podcast is going. Yeah. So um, so when did you when did you decide medicine was what you wanted to do? Um, that's a great question. So, oh, so my family immigrated here when I was four um, mm-hmm. to America from Nigeria, mm-hmm. and to, I don't to, know to, to Kansas City. <laughs> to Kansas City. Okay. Yep. Um, and <laughs> I think. For some reason, I just got in my head that I wanted to be a doctor. I'm sure it was subliminal messaging from my parents, but um, I like the idea of helping people. Um, I think I've always been a little bossy, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I liked I liked the idea of what a doctor could be. Mm-hmm. But I, when I look back on it and I reflect on this question is I had no idea what a doctor was and what a doctor actually could be because I actually didn't see any doctors that look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had truly no idea 
what it meant to be a doctor or how to even get into being a doctor. I just knew that like at some point, yeah, maybe I could, maybe I could be a doctor. Like, sure. That's, that's the, the one thing I could think of. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I go through life with this, you know, notion in my head that I want to be a doctor and high school happens and, um, I'm playing a lot of sports. I'm involved in literally everything. Um, and then my dad tells me about this six-year program at uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, um, where it takes high schoolers straight from high school into med school. Interesting. And so you do a combined uh, uh, BLA or BA uh, or BS um, slash MD. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I guess, hey, that could be the way I get into right. medical school. Like, I, I, I really, like, looking back on things, like, I truly had no idea how I was going to get into medical school. I had no one to like map it out for me. I had mm -hmm. no one to really shadow. Um, I just didn't know. And this felt like such a sign from God. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my life, I feel like is very serendipitous. And like a lot of it is driven by a higher being. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a God moment where, my dad found this program right in our like right in our city and i had already had all of the grades i had all of the extracurriculars i played a ton of sports um that made me stand out on a piece of paper i was i myself personally was planning on playing sports in college mm -hmm. um, and whatever that looked like because i was always just wanting to be the best and chasing some goal um, of just being the best at whatever i was doing and, and that worked out well, and I was going to play basketball, um, but then I kind of switched gears and said, you know what, this goal of being a doctor is actually the biggest goal and the one I've wanted to do since I was four, so this mm -hmm. should take precedence over anything. So that's amazing how I got into med school at 17. <laughs> that's, that's, in, that's incredible. So what, is the, what did that six-year program look like? Oh, that six-year program is tough. Um, I imagine. It was very tough. Um, I mean, it was tough, but at the same time, like, perfect for me because it was, they, it was very rigid in its curriculum. Um, there really wasn't a lot of freedom to do, you know, a lot of other things because we had to cram in so much information in such a short period of time. Um, so, and that, that for me, that structure for me was great. Um, where, you know, in two weeks, I'm going to have a test. So I will study really hard for two weeks, take my test, take a break, then go back, go right at it. Like I can, mm -hmm. that was something that I could do the years of sports and training and that discipline that it teaches mm -hmm. you really like shown in that space. Um, and then also I had such amazing women in my life um a ton of my best friends from medical school are we're like a ragtag group of female physicians that like would never have um been friends in like the real world we all came from such different backgrounds and walks of life but we were all <laughs> to me the most normal <laughs> because a six-year program you know there are a lot of strange people there um, right. and we were all like the most quote unquote mm -hmm. normal, um, at least 
from our standards. And I mean, med school's already full of people who are like <laughs> go-getters and to do a program that's like accelerated med school. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so these women became my tribe. Like we, we say that like we went through war together mm -hmm. um, and came out on the other side and everyone came out like so freaking successful. Um, and I think we were all there to just like motivate and uplift. Um, and it's just like such a beautiful friendship that I, friendships that I made through that program. But yeah, it's a really tough and rigorous program. And um, a lot of, one thing I think it could potentially be better is like the mental health for a lot of students. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people don't know how to study all of a sudden um, they don't know how to handle the pressure and right. all of a sudden they have all this freedom. And so pressure, freedom, and also this kind of like smugness that I'm already in medical school, it led mm -hmm. to a good amount of my classmates, like having issues with substance abuse or depression. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the medical school does not do a very good job of addressing that. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, I had a really good support system, but a lot of other people didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very rigorous emotionally, mentally, physically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I luckily had the prior training from my, uh, athletic background to, to, to succeed and finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I mean, I think we're just starting to try to figure out this mental health problem because it's a, it's the same grad school is the same. You know, it's this long program that people can kind of get lost mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's rigorous, but we're not necessarily addressing that. Like we are still, you know, a, a lot of the students are still developing as human beings yes. and we're putting yeah. them in this like pressure chamber uh, yes. and everybody's freaking out. So yes. yeah, I mean, I would love to see more concerted effort from med schools all over and grad schools to really figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a real problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would put my children through the program if I if I really? were to have children and if I if they wanted to express an interest in medicine. I don't know if I would necessarily put them through that program, um, mm -hmm. just because it it is so so it can be devastating <laughs> just doing that program and. Um, it can also be great. And it was great for me as someone that really had no role models and had no way to, to navigate the world of medicine. Mm -hmm. And so it was great for me, but hopefully for my children, they could see, I will, they can have role models in medicine yeah, if yeah. that's what they want to do. They can do whatever, as long yeah. as they're happy and doing good for the world. Right. So, so then after that, um, you obviously go to residency. Mm -hmm. So what was that process like for you figuring out what you were interested in clinically? Um, Cause that is a big decision for anyone and you were probably relatively young finishing med school. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I graduated med school at 23 um, and I matched into urology, but my journey to finding urology was actually really challenging <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because again, representation matters. Um, and then just exposure matters. Like medical students are so malleable. Like you be nice to them for one day and they're like, right. this is my specialty. Exactly. Everyone <laughs> loves me. Yeah. Um, and so I remember going through my rotations and before I went through our rotations, there was a, uh, 
uh, such an amazing surgeon, Dr. Christine Gooden. Um, she's a transplant surgeon. Um, and she was just, I think she's the role model for every African-American student and then every woman student uh, mm -hmm. that went through the surgery rotation. They just, she's just an absolute delight. But she, um, she told us like, you have to pick a field that makes you happy to get out of bed every morning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, okay, noted. And she, I mean, and she lives that truth. She loved her job and loves her job and loves her patients. And like, I was like, I want to be that happy going to work. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, we do a lot of internal medicine. So the reason the six year program was invented originally was because they needed more primary care physicians um, in more rural settings. And so it was very primary care focused, very internal medicine focused. And I liked the thought process of it, but I also hated the inaction it felt like sometimes. Mm. And so I was like, okay, so obviously I'd have to go into some sort of surgical field. Um, and uh, then I actually took my general surgery rotation and I loathed general surgery. I really? hated it. I hated my general surgery rotation. It was such a toxic environment like the residents were unhappy the t attendings were unhappy like it mm. and then like i if i had to see another like lap coley ever again i think i would want it. i like i just i just absolutely hated it it was miserable um and so that was really depressing because i thought that surgery was going to be surgery was going to be it um and i also had done ob and i thought maybe potentially i could do that but i actually mm -hmm hated childbirth um hmm. just could not it is so traumatic i mm -hmm. every woman that gives birth oh you are the you're a true warrior mm -hmm. um but uh so while my general surgery rotation i had already signed up for a women in surgery conference and uh, it was in san francisco and i was like worst case scenario i get a weekend a paid weekend in san francisco right. um so i go and so it, it's all these women in different surgical specialties that you know take their time to come to this conference and provide mentorship and um again representation matters and doesn't necessarily always have to be the same you know race um but there was a urologist there, Dr. Hadley Wood, who was, she's at the Cleveland Clinic. I talk about her all the time. I don't even, know, like, my attending actually told her how she got me into the field because they were um, co-residents. Um, so I hope she's not surprised that I always mention her. Um, but she was at this conference and she was so, um, she had such amazing style one, which I love clothing, I love fashion. And then mm -hmm. two, such poise um, and so intelligent. And then also so relatable um, of all of the surgeons that were there and the funniest too. And so mm -hmm. I was like, urology, I'm gonna give that a shot. Like she seems cool, maybe this specialty will be for me. Um, and then, again the power of just nice being a nice resident <laughs> the residents i worked with on my urology rotation were so great um mm -hmm. they were so kind and the 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 content 
the things that they let me do was so cool. And then from that rotation, I did three sub eyes and, and then I matched into urology. That's so, awesome. um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a really like convoluted way of getting into urology. And I came into the game late. Um, and I, other than the, and I, in our, in our home program, my home program didn't have a urology program. So again, I had to like, I had to hustle. I had to hustle really, really hard um, in order to get into urology and, and do the thing. And mm -hmm. I was the first, or I think the first woman from my medical school and then also the first black woman to go to match into urology. So that's amazing. Yeah. I had to kind of like trailblaze. That. Yeah. That was tough. It was tough. It's always tough. It's tough being the first. Um, and that's the same for being a urology resident. I was the first black woman urologist in the, in like the history of the university of Minnesota. to match That's there. incredible. Um, and so that was also tough. Like that was really, really hard. Um, not, not per se in like the clinical stuff. I, I could do that, but it was just more the, like the microaggressions that I'd face mm -hmm. that really none of my co-residents could really ever understand or my attendings like and try and like my attendings are great and they tried to get it. Um, but they just didn't. And I think a lot of the, um, a lot of that builds, builds up over time because a lot of people are saying like, Oh, I just don't, I, I've never had that experience or I, I, I don't know what that could potentially be like. Um, and so you kind of feel like you're just alone in this, like, space like a lot mm -hmm. of the, like a lot of my co-residents just didn't have to deal with the same bullshit on top of also right. learning doing surgical training right. um, but oh well I came through it yeah. <laughs> I mean I that's amazing so um, were there other African-American women after you to come into University of Minnesota um so there my junior resident um Dr. Joseph Akwe is now a rising chief um there were there have not been other black urolo female urologists that have matched yet yet i make i'm gonna make sure that that's not the case we did i did have a medical student that um i helped mentor and she is now the first black woman resident at the mayo clinic so urology resident at the mayo clinic so like you know that's my goal that's is to increase representation and diversity in these spaces because it's so woefully under we're so woefully underrepresented mm -hmm. um in this field and it's and we're I remember if being told several times that like maybe urology isn't for me by my advisors um so that blatantly told it wasn't for me and then also like not blatantly, but like seeing, looking around in the room and seeing that it was mostly just white men <laughs> and being mm -hmm. like, maybe this isn't for me, but I also am super stubborn. I'm like stubborn as a goat. And because of that, and I knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, and because of that, I said, you know what, like, I don't care who's telling me what to do. I'm just going to do it and get it done. Um, and so I don't think a lot of other, I, I think a lot of people are discouraged and not mm -hmm. everyone is so uh, tenacious. And I want to make that so much easier for like the future generations. Like they shouldn't be discouraged from going into this field. 
because then at conferences they're like, why, why aren't there, why isn't there more diversity? I'm like, here, I can answer those questions for you. Right. Because people are being told, no, you walk into this right. room and it's a sea of white men. Like, exactly. it's just, it's hard and it shouldn't be this hard. It's right. 2020. We got to do better. 2020, we got to do better. <laughs> I mean, I, so I was talking, I had another podcast interview this morning and I was, he was, um, he's at Georgia Tech, a really well-known guy. He's black. And mm-hmm. he said that he was in grad school and was like, never even considered a career in academics. Yeah. And I was like, why? And he's like, there just weren't any, I, I didn't see myself in any of the faculty. And it was like incredibly intimidating. It didn't mean yeah. that his mentors didn't want him to get, have a career in academics. He said yeah. they were really supportive once he said it, but you, nobody needs to explicitly necessarily say that if, if you don't feel supported in your, or as yeah. like part of a community. Yeah, yeah, so. yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that's awesome. And um, good for you because you said multiple times representation matters. And I think you're helping build that representation for other people. Oh, well, good. I would, I would love that. Cause I, I still remember then the reason I chose the university of Minnesota was that um, there are a lot of programs where it's still very much a boys club and I mm-hmm. didn't want that. Um, versus the University of Minnesota, their program had a lot of female faculty, which I had not seen in other institutions. And the female faculty had all different types of personalities. Um, everyone had all very much different personalities, which was nice to not come into a program that was so like, we're all going golfing on Saturday. I'm like, I don't exactly. play golf. <laughs> I don't right. want to golf. Um, and I still remember one of my interview rooms. Um, Dr. Adonias and Dr. Nakeev, they did a tag team. Uh, and I think what we spent most of the time talking about like shopping Veep, like it was just so, it's yeah. just great. And I was like, yeah. this, these are real people that I can get along with. Right. That's awesome. So how, so, so any other experiences uh, dur- during your time at University of Minnesota you want to talk about? Um, how did residency go? We talked, we already talked a little bit about COVID and how it ended, but, but how was your overall experience with you, specifically urology? Because I don't really know that much about urology residency. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, let's do a urology lesson because maybe I can get you into it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So urology is the surgical manage surgical and medical management of the genital urinary system um, and male reproductive system. Um, and so most urology programs are very rigorous because um, a lot of them are very small. Um, so they range from one to, one to four, four being like a very large class. Um, but yeah, so you, my program had three residents um, a year and we do a lot of call, we do a lot of clinic, we do a lot of operating. Um, and so it is a very demanding field. I think all, I think all residencies are very demanding and I think there's a whole different aspect when you add surgical training on top of it. Um, so it was, it was challenging. It was tough, but I, I, looking back on it, I love the growth that I got to see, um, from being an intern and, you know, taking a skills 
doing a skills course and like my hand shaking as you know someone was watching me throw knots to like mm -hmm. being a chief and walking my junior residents through things and getting to teach them you know all of my mistakes and teaching them ways to do it better it and just becoming a more assertive person um and it again reaffirm like never take no for an answer because you you can't take no for an answer in a hospital when you're like trying to to advocate for your patients um because not everyone has the exact same mindset of advocating for your patients so you mm -hmm. the onus comes on you and you cannot take no for an answer if a patient needs a scan emergently or um you know you need to get a patient to the operating room people will tell you no because you know i've realized that people don't like to do their jobs and so mm -hmm. if we're getting paid and we're at work we're all doing our jobs that's my mm -hmm. that's that's what i always tell my residents um so you can't block consults you have to do your job um, and i have that mentality for everyone else and so i i'm just really proud of you know the growth that came from you know doing this program and doing a residency um and i think that growth professionally um and personally was really huge um and now comes the like rebuilding because i think a lot what residency does is it takes a lot out of you <laughs> and you kind of lose yourself and i think mm -hmm. this is in every residency um and so i think i spent the last covid months and then mm -hmm. the last year really trying to rediscover like what i like to do outside of mm -hmm. operating and um taking care of myself physically mentally emotionally so mm -hmm. um that's been good that's awesome and so now you are in san diego you're doing a fellowship yes yeah okay in so, yeah go ahead sorry i'm doing a um andrology and male and female sexual medicine fellowship mm. um, with dr erwin goldstein so how long is that fellowship just a year Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. And fun. so, um, so I guess that we can transition to the podcast, uh, which all of us really, uh, rest of my team isn't here, but there's, there's four of us that do this, run this podcast and all of us are a big fan of what you're doing on your podcast. And oh. it's, it's a big, like, there is a lack of what you're doing in the podcast world, I think. I think, I think you're filling an important gap. Um, but like, why did you decide to do it? And, and what's your vision for where it goes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So I think my, um, my need for doing the podcast was just, I was fed up. <laughs> I was, again, being the first is hard and it's lonely and it's isolating. And I was very tired of feeling alone and having to deal with um, a lot of the the things that come with being a minority in medicine. And I was also tired of, you know, when I would have black patients, it was, initially it was this awesome thing where they'd say like, I'm so proud of you. Like my son and daughter or niece wants to become a, you know, a med tech or this or that. And they're like, but they don't know how to. And I was like, call me. Like, mm -hmm. like here's my information. Like, the f I would have like teachers being like, 
a black female doctor can you come talk to my my kids like they've never seen this and i was like this is a problem <laughs> like i can't it cannot be 2020 where we have all of these mediums like the, all the social media and all of these mediums and like kids are still struggling med students are still struggling to find representation of yeah. people in stem and so it just like made me very sad um but then also on the op opposite end is like i'm an action person like and i'm also someone that just likes to get something done and i was like you know what mm -hmm. why if i'm not seeing it why can't i be the one to do it like why can't why can't i and so right. i was like i'll start a podcast um because it's something I, I had, I was, I dabbled in podcasting very little, um, with, uh, the British Journal of Urology. Um, I did a, like a little podcast series with them, but in no way was I proficient in this, but I was like, you know what? I, I hate not seeing people in underrepresented minorities in STEM not represented. Like I just hate mm -hmm. it and I'm so tired of it. And so I figured why not do it myself? Um, and it was also just kind of this need for therapy. It was like, it was the therapeutic means to also foster relationships because again, living in Minnesota as a person of color um, is very isolating and very lonely. And so I was, it also was just born out of just like a list like loneliness of like mm -hmm. i need to find more people and more voices that look like me um and are in these spaces because we we do exist um and so because of the covid schedule i did have a lot more free time and like prior to the covid i because i've had this i've had this vision for two years that I wanted to do a podcast but I was like I just don't have time like I want to mm -hmm. make it so that it's perfect um and I just like there's so many reasons why I can't do it just right now and then I went on a walk with um our dean of admissions at the medical school because she's very much into diversity and inclusion and like we are, I just I reached out to her because I was like you are amazing she spoke at this leadership conference that I was a part of um and I was like I just want to like talk to you like you just seem awesome and so I was telling her about um Dimple Patel is her name she's amazing she's great okay everyone um she's just awesome um I was telling her about the podcast and like maybe one day I'll, I'll start it and but I like I want to make sure it's perfect and she's like just do it just do it and just like see what happens right and so those words were kind of kind of ringing in my ear ears in my head and then COVID happened and then I had so much more free time. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And so I got on Twitter. <laughs> I, I was not on social media during residency at all. Mm -hmm. I tried to get off of social media because I really wanted to focus on residency. And so, um, but in this leadership course, they told us we actually had a whole training day about, um, med Twitter and med Twitter. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And like, I was like, okay, I'll note that for later when I want to do something with it. And so I decided during COVID, I'm going to do something with it. Got on Twitter, found all of these um, black um, voices and then also uh, people of color voices in STEM. And I just essentially messaged them and, or emailed them and messaged them. And I was like, I'm starting a podcast 
And then I realized, oh, I'm starting a podcast. I have to actually come up with a name. <laughs> like I'm starting a podcast. I have to come up with like what, what it's, um, what its mission statement is. I had to come up with all these things like literally in 24 hours. Cause I'm someone that's like, if I have an idea, I need to get it done and I need to get it yes. done now. Right. Um, absolutely. And so I, it was like, I think my husband watched me frantically just like, just typing furiously and like coming up with like the podcast um, name with the podcast, like, like what it was going to look like, all of these yeah. things, like it was totally on the fly. And then I, as I'm emailing all these people to get involved, like, like friends of mine or just complete strangers and everyone mm -hmm. was like, Oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. And it was just like mm -hmm. this overwhelming yes. And which was, I was shocked by because I, know that these are all very busy professionals mm -hmm. um and they were willing to take time out of their very busy lives to talk to a random chief resident <laughs> and that they've never met before and they were all so gracious with their time and i think the reason for that was they understand how much this is needed how mm -hmm. hearing their voices is a battle cry. It's it's a form of resistance. Uh, it's a form of protest uh, against you know the right supremacy that we deal with in medicine and in the you know United States. Um, and they got that and they saw that vision and they were on board with it. And I just thank every single guest that's ever been on there, especially in the like the very beginning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I just thank them so much because they seriously took time out of their life. Um, that they could be doing something else just to talk with a girl with a microphone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was great. That's amazing. I, it, it blows my mind too. When we reach out to people that people are willing to spend a whole hour talking to you. Um, but they, I think people really believe that this is a, this is important. And I think it reaches a different audience than I think it reaches the right audience. I think it reaches a younger audience that are looking for these kinds of conversations so. yeah yeah I mean that's the goal is that because I remember listening to my like in medical school and in residency I got into more into podcasts mm -hmm. and through that those mediums I was like oh you know there is not one way to be black like there it, which is an insane thing to learn at like 1920 but beforehand that was that was what was like touted to me it's like oh you're not really black was a statement that people would tell me all the time and i was like that is so yucky like i don't understand mm -hmm. why it's yucky and i don't have the words for it yet to explain that and then i started listening to podcasts and i started listening to podcasts with people of color that were like you know educated and or nerdy or funny and all of these things and it's like oh my gosh black isn't a monolith like you can be right, right so many things within your blackness and like the fact that the that black children in my generation and were told that you there's only one way to be black and stereotypical way to be black um and that was reinforced even among white and black children like that's mm -hmm. bullshit and like it's 2020 now we have the power to like rewrite that that history and rewrite that narrative. Um, so yeah, that it was just, I just wanted to reclaim the narrative mm -hmm. and we have the power to do it. So why not? Yeah. So 
and this is also so in medicine, obviously, um, but in academics, there is a pretty big lack of diversity at wow. at the at the higher levels. I think now more students are coming in, but like you said, those role models there's not a lot of those role models at the top. Yeah. What do you think? Do you have any um, ideas about how we change that? Like, what's the what is the biggest thing we could do as a system? Oh, that's. I I I I have. Ah, <laughs> oh, so we're... the question is, how do we upend systemic racism? Ooh. Right, exactly. <laughs> if you do in in five words or less. <laughs> um. Let's see, increase representation, <laughs> um, increase voices and listen. Like that, I guess those are five words. <laughs> um, I, I think, I truly do think when you are the only person in the room, it is really hard for your voice to be heard. It is hard for people to even remotely understand what you're talking about because they don't have that background. Mm-hmm. Um, Versus if there's like seven or eight people of color in a room and they're like, yeah, that's my experience too. I do think that change, like real formidable change can come from that. Because mm-hmm. um, I think one of the things that happens is that people, when you're the first and you're the only, you are scared to um, let you just want to blend in. You just want to put your head down and do the work because um, you don't ever want anyone to question why you're in this space. Um, and you don't want anyone to ever think that you're ungrateful for being in this space um, because you're the only and there's just not enough of you to, to you know, say the things that you need to say. Um, I think now um, in this climate that we're in, I think a lot more people are willing to listen, but I also still think that there still needs to be an increase in representation because although people are willing to listen, they still don't know what to do. I mean, these are the same people that are like, I did not know that systemic racism was still happening. And it's like, okay, so you want these people to be the ones that make these changes too? That's not, that's exactly, that's a no, that's a hard no, that no formidable change and no, no change will happen. I mean, these are the same people that are like, <laughs> will ask you like, oh, how do I be less racist? I'm like, there is Google. <laughs> so these are the people that you then want to be the ones to make the change. It's like, no, we need to increase representation. We need to increase diversity, more diverse voices. And I mean diversity in all walks of life. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all shapes and forms is really important in order to make an institution, make an institution great again. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's that. So increase representation, increase voices and people need to listen. So those mm-hmm. are my five words. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what's the plan for the podcast moving forward? Oh, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, again, this is one of those like, let go, let God moments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I will just, I will just continue to do the work I love, um, which is 
like I love talking to my guests. I like every single one has inspired me um, in some way, shape, or form, or has given me like solid advice, or just they're just all very awesome people. Um, and so I'm just gonna continue doing that until people start start saying no. <laughs> And there's really nothing I can do. Like, the, my, I, I always, I had this conversation with my husband because when, I always have to just remember what the goal was, which is increase representation. So if that means that one person is listening to this and says like, oh my gosh, I never knew I could become a botanist or I never knew that I could become a dentist or I didn't know that this was a, a field that I could go into, you know, whatever it is. And if that just one person hears that, that I have hit my goal, I will be happy. Um, and so that's, that's all I can ever really focus on is like the, the absolute goal. And I always have to recenter myself and make sure that I'm, that I'm staying true to like the, the mission. Um, so yeah, so it's hard to think of what the greater mission will be because it's just, it's so- I mean, That's a pretty mission. profound mission. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah. 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 But, but. Well, thank you for what you're doing. It's hugely valuable. And I, you know, all of us have really enjoyed listening to it too. So thank oh. you. Oh, thank you. That's our episode for this week. Our thanks again to Dr. Yuloko for being on the show. Be sure to check out the Battle Cry podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow her on Twitter at Maria Uloco. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share us with others you think would appreciate this content. If you have time, leave us a review on iTunes. For more from the team here at Behind the Microscope, head to our website at www.behindthemicroscope.com. Behind the Microscope is executive produced by Joe Banke, Carrie Jansen, Michael Sayeg, and me. Our faculty advisor is Dr. Brian Robinson. I'm Bijan Sadie. We'll see you next time.